you join me in a short prayer, please? Lord, as we come to you, meditate upon your words, please, by your spirit, allow it to penetrate into the deep places of our hearts and minds so that we will better reflect the image of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. In conversing with an exotic Ethiopian, Philip was fulfilling Jesus' command that the gospel be taken to the ends of the earth. In Isaiah 11 and Zephaniah 3, Ethiopians, that is in Hebrew, Cushites, are among the most distant of peoples to be mentioned as coming under the future rule of the Messiah. And Isaiah 56, verses 3 to 5, speaks of God-fearing eunuchs finding a family within the kingdom of God. Quote, Let not the foreigner who has joined himself to the Lord say, The Lord will surely separate me from his people. Let not the eunuch say, Behold, I am a dry tree. For thus says the Lord, to the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths and choose what pleases me and hold fast my covenant, to them I will give in my house and within my walls a memorial and a name better than that of sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name which will not be cut off. The eunuch that Philip met was just such a man. And Luke expects his readers to recognise the fulfilment of prophecy in the story of his conversion. How did the angel come to Philip? Luke doesn't satisfy our curiosity. Philip's route took him south, joining the 50-mile-long road west and some 2,400 feet down from Jerusalem to Old Gaza, where the eunuch was to join the coastal road towards Egypt. And it's important to note that uh, Ethiopia in this context isn't modern-day Ethiopia, but rather a black Nubian kingdom south of Egypt, partly in what is now Sudan. It was a kingdom so powerful that Rome had settled for a peace treaty and trade ties rather than its empire venturing south of Egypt. Kandake or Candice was the traditional title for the, the queen mother of this Nubian kingdom. And she took the responsibility for performing the secular duties of the reigning king, who was considered to be too sacred to directly manage such earthly affairs. Here is quite a contrast with the God of Israel revealed in Jesus. Now, it wasn't unusual in the ancient world for the male servants of a queen to be eunuchs who were castrated and often further dismembered to fit them for royal service. Nor was it unusual in the ancient world to read out loud. 
So it's plausible that Philip would overhear the eunuch reading from the Greek translation of Isaiah, which he'd probably just purchased in Jerusalem. Now, a travelling carriage rolled along at speeds of perhaps some 25 miles per day. And this explains why Philip had sufficient time to fall into conversation with the eunuch about his reading. Now, in God's providence, the passage the eunuch had just reached was Isaiah 53, which speaks of the Messiah as one whose service like that of a eunuch, came at the price of having no children. We know that Jesus' generation, after he was taken away, is his growing band of post-Easter disciples, the church. Now, the eunuch didn't yet understand this. Nevertheless, he was intrigued by the figure that Isaiah describes and wondered, who is he? Well, despite what some later rabbis said, the suffering servant of Isaiah 53 clearly isn't a a metaphorical representation of Israel. Earlier servant passages in Isaiah refer explicitly to Israel. But chapter 49 verse 5 distinguishes the servant from the rest of Israel. And in 53 verses 1 to 3, the suffering servant is rejected by Israel. So the eunuch wonders whether the the servant is Isaiah himself. Well, Philip is able to explain that the prophecy is about Jesus. Recall what Jesus said to the disciples on the road to Emmaus. How foolish you are and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. That's in Luke 24. So Philip's Christocentric reading of Old Testament prophecy sprang from the lips of Jesus himself through the disciples. Now, since he'd gone to Jerusalem to worship, it would seem that our eunuch was what Jews would call a God-fearer, though he probably wasn't a a full convert to Judaism. Because as a eunuch, he would have been denied circumcision and was explicitly prevented from entering the temple beyond the court of of the Gentiles, the outer court of the temple. For according to Deuteronomy 23 verse 1, no one who has been emasculated by crushing or cutting may enter the assembly of the Lord. So as a eunuch, Judaism welcomed him to worship God whilst keeping him at arm's length from the nation of God. And although being a eunuch was a prerequisite of his job, which gave him status and wealth and power, he would have been familiar with the prejudice of Mediterranean peoples who mocked eunuchs as being deficient in manliness. This 
is a man who felt justifiably on the fringes of community. However, as Philip explains about Jesus, it becomes clear that under the new covenant of Christ, there is no purity law preventing the eunuch becoming part of God's new temple incarnate, the church. Here is water. What can stand in the way of me being baptised? As the Apostle Paul wrote, in Christ there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free. Colossians 3.11 The road to Gaza crosses several riverbeds or wadis and in one of these Philip no doubt baptised the eunuch before they parted ways. Today, many African churches uphold the tradition that the Ethiopian eunuch was the first African missionary. We do know that the gospel reached the African continent early, and that indeed some of the earliest Bible translations were produced in Africa. The story of Philip and the eunuch confronts us, I think, with two challenges that demand our considered response. Whilst we can certainly take from this story an illustration of God's investment in the fulfilment of the Great Commission, we cannot conclude from this that we can just sit back and let God do all the work by his spirit and the angels. On this noteworthy occasion, God steers Philip to a particular appointment by supernatural means. But Philip was already an evangelist and was equipped in such a way that God found it worthwhile steering him. God knew that if Philip came across someone asking questions about Isaiah 53, he'd be able to make the link to Jesus. So if we want God to use us in a similar way, We too need to take appropriate steps to equip our minds and hearts to be fit for purpose. For example, uh, if you're not already part of a small group here at Highfield, you might consider joining one as we're soon to begin studying the conversational evangelism course together uh, in preparation for this summer's upcoming Inside Out Mission Week. Luke presents us with the fact that nothing stands in the way of anyone getting baptised, not into the Church of England, as Tim was saying, but baptised into Christ, into his church, into the name of Christ. Nothing prevents that except a person's own rejection of Christ. Therefore, we must extend the invitation of the Gospel to all comers. As the Parish Church of Southampton University, we have a golden opportunity to share the good news with people from all around the globe who come to study here and to be our neighbours. One way to do this would be to come alongside the work of Friends International, uh, 
You could uh, start off by visiting their website to find out about their work here in Southampton, or perhaps have a chat uh, with Tim Billington indeed. As a church, we are called to reflect Jesus' attitude towards those that his society considered outsiders. Remember Luke's record of how the Pharisees and the teachers of the law who belonged to their sect complained to Jesus' disciples, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus answered them, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Moreover, we follow one who was prepared to break the social conventions of his day, treating women as equals and holding up children as examples for the sake of the kingdom of God. And breaking conventions can be hard. But as an encouragement, Luke shows us what happened as the Spirit of Christ impelled the early church to embrace not only fellow Jews, but Samaritans and even Gentiles, including an African eunuch in service to a foreign god-king beyond the edges of the Roman world. For as Paul explains again in Galatians 3.28, there is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Amen.